And now, Fastened Like Nails with Dr. Mark Hamby. Welcome to another Fasten Like Nails. And in the studio with me today, Molly Mayo. Molly, how you doing? Good, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing good. Had a cup of coffee earlier and I'm nice. ready to go. A little bit caffeinated, but I think you need that for this lesson. This is a turning point lesson, also known as a hinge lesson. Oh, didn't we have a hinge back in chapter one too? Hmm, you mean with the um, 123 with turn and my reproof? Mm. Yeah, but this is a hinged chapter. In fact, what happens in chapter 5 of Proverbs is repeated in a mirrored way in chapter 4. So chapters 4 and 5 are the middle of the wisdom lessons. So there are 12 wisdom lessons, chapters 1 through 9. In the very center of chapters 1 through 9 is chapters 4 and 5. In those chapters, it's a mirror image of each other. What happens in chapter 4 is repeated in chapter 5. What happens in chapter 3 is repeated in chapter 6 and so on. So the these proverbs are written in a way known as chiastically or chiastically. I would rather represent them in a framing. So Molly, for our listeners, let's describe for them what this hinge statement looks like. And so mm-hmm. you've got the mother and father in the beginning. You've got the mother and father at the end. Mm. Um, you've got the um, rival invitations of a father and the foolish peers. Um, next, and then at the very end, you've got rival in- invitations um, with Lady Wisdom and Mistress Folly. You know, then you've got after that you got Wisdom's plea to the foolish and promises to the wise. And then down at the very bottom, moving your way up, you've got exactly the same thing: Wisdom's plea to the foolish and promises to the wise. So mm-hmm. that's in chapter eight, mm-hmm. and then that matches with um, chapter one. So, so we're going to keep moving our way down till we get to the very center of chapters four and five, which are the the centerpiece of all of Wisdom's lessons. Mm. And so the centerpiece, what happens in chapter four also happens in chapter five. <laughs> it's a mirror image, like I said. So I'm gonna read some of the things that are happening uh-huh. in chapter four. You read some of the things that are happening in chapter five so our audience can kind of get a feel of the this amazing structure in how God wrote this. So in chapter four, it starts off with guard my commandments. And then in chapter five, guard knowledge. Chapter four, mark my words, bend your ear. Five, mark my wisdom, bend ear to understanding. Next, you've got health to those who find wisdom and understanding. Understanding or give your vitality and wealth to the cruel and foolish woman. Then after that, you've got exalt wisdom, she'll promote you. Molly, in the very end of chapter four, you've got ponder the path of your feet, turn not to the left or the right. And then in chapter five. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander aimlessly. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. So chapters four and five, the centerpiece of the 12 lessons of wisdom, have this mirror image in the Mm -hmm. very center. And the reason for it is that the father wants to make sure that his son gets this Mm -hmm. because this lesson is going to determine his future. And the lesson is sexual intimacy. Mm. It's the hardest of all the lessons because the son hasn't, he's not heard of this lesson yet. This is his first time experience. And by the way, this is so important that the son hears this from his father before Mm -hmm. he hears it from his peers. Oh, yeah. Because if he hears it from his peers first, he's going to have a distorted view of the most, one of the most beautiful parts of God's creation. And so, 
here's what a, weight these words must have held too for Solomon's father to have told him. Because we talked last week about how hard it must have been like growing up for him. But then to hear this from David, like that's crazy. Mm, interesting. David had... Um, he knew firsthand some of the effects of his own sin. Mm-hmm. And just think about our culture today. There's so much pornography out there, so much distortion of... Mm-hmm. Um, of what God has created is to, to be extremely beautiful, pleasurable, um, and um, representation of what God gave as a gift to a husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And so, so what's happening in our culture today, even among our homeschool uh, families, is that kids are so bombarded by sexual images, a distortion of that which is sacred. And what's, what's extremely harmful is that because mom and dad have not had a plan, so mm-hmm. here's the plan. This plan of how to teach your children all these lessons, this is the most amazing plan because in Proverbs chapter 5, the father is going to present sexual intimacy in, in an incredibly beautiful way. And as a result, the son's first images of sexual intimacy are going to be implanted in his mind and his heart so that he has something to look forward to that is based on virtue and beauty and honor and integrity and sacrifice. Mm. And if the son starts off with these lessons before the peers get him or before the culture gets him or before social media Uh uh, destroys one of the most sacred gifts that God has given us, we as parents have to teach our children one of the most beautiful stories of God's gift for a husband and wife so that the son at this junior high stage, he's got something to look forward to. And now he's got not just what to look forward to, but he's now going to guard it mm-hmm. so that no one steals it from him. He is being given a sacred gift by his father, the images of true, godly, holy sexual intimacy. And it's right there in Proverbs chapter 5. Now, we're not going to go into detail, but I will say this, that if parents read this and um, convey these sacred truths in a way that demonstrates to their children that this is something to look forward to, Mm -hmm. then they're going to plant in their children's minds and hearts one of the most beautiful images for them to take with them so that when they see the distortion of it, they turn their eyes. David says, I'll turn my eyes from any wicked thing. And after this, guess what you have after Proverbs? Hmm. Ecclesiastes, which is like, don't go after vain things. Mm -hmm. Don't go after things that are shallow and vain, which leads you to, guess what's next? Song of Songs, Mm -hmm. which is a presentation of everything that marriage is supposed to be like. Mm And if you want to help your children grow in an intimate understanding of sexual intimacy, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, not Song of Solomon, Song of Songs is the way to do it. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely a perfect way without it being so graphic that it damages a child. It actually gives them this image that they can look forward to so that they have convictions of what to expect. And if you expect beauty, you're going to get beauty. Mm. I love it. This is 
God has given us something in his word that is just just enough for a youth to digest and from there wait until God brings the right spouse into his life. Okay, which brings us to this beautiful place where the father now says to the son, and, and by the way, um, this, this is so important, <clears throat> the father has chosen not just the right time, but he's chosen to share just the right things that God's revealing to us. He doesn't sugarcoat it, mm-hmm. but he doesn't go into such detail that it causes the child harm. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Okay, so Molly, I remember when my dad had that birds and the bee talk with me. Mm-hmm. It was so it was so uh, a little uncomfortable. You know, dad took me out on a, a back road, driving the car together. He let me drive. I was only like, I think I was like 12. Might have been 13. And he's doing his very best. But uh, he didn't go into detail. And it didn't help me all that much. But he tried. He did his best. But my my education on sexual int- intimacy came from my friends, sadly. Um, at an early age, my friends were doing pornography, and that was my introduction to sexual intimacy. And so mm-hmm. it was distorted. And and I, I, if I had been a Christian back then, oh, young people that are saved at an early age, you have so much more to look forward to. You don't have to have sexual intimacy distorted. But what you have to do is you have to be guarded at all costs because this culture that we live in. It's super, yeah, on hyperdrive. It's so profane, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so. Which I think maybe can cause some of the, this is a taboo subject because I don't, like, I think that was something my mom was concerned about was that she didn't want to, like, put any thoughts into her head that wasn't supposed to be there at the right time. Mm, but which. The point I'm making is that God mm-hmm. has placed it in his word, giving us just the right details, mm-hmm. just enough that allows a young girl and a young boy to just know enough mm-hmm. to be able to have their their foundation for their future future sexual intimacy with their mate um, at ground level. They don't need to any, know any more than that. God knows just enough to give us. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's sad is that the majority of kids today are having a distorted view of sexual intimacy, and they bring that into their marriages. But if a mom and dad want to convey these truths to their children, guess what is the best way? What? For them to live it out themselves. Mm. Yeah. They have to have that kind of relationship in their marriage. Mm -hmm. It has to be holy ground. It has to be beautiful to where the children see it in mom and dad's relationship. You know, they see a healthy relationship. If you want to influence your children, then you have to have a healthy relationship, um, socially, relationally, um, physically, spiritually. You have to have that intact. And if you do, then your children are going to have the freedom to be able to know that they're content with waiting because I want what mom and dad had. So I'm going to guard what mom and dad is telling me I need to guard. Mm-hmm. So they're going to turn their head from wicked things. They're not going to give in to peer pressure. They're not going to give in to those movies. Oh, God forbid. You know, we just need to make sure that, number one, God hates violence. God does not want us to be looking at sexual things on television or movies or video games. Mm-hmm. God wants us to guard our hearts. And that's what the Father's about to teach his son. Notice what he says here. 
Uh, my son, this is verses one through five, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my discernment, that you may protect dis- discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge for the, watch this, he holds no punches, right after the first sentence, for the, li- the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path of hell. Whoa. Mm-hmm. The father is holding nothing back. This is big. This is intense. So in the sound studio today, our engineer is Seth. Uh, Seth, have you, did your dad have this talk with you? He's cool. Okay, good. It's, I think it's important for moms to have to talk with their daughters and dads to have to talk with their, their sons. But one of the things I like about the father and son's talk is that the father he's not talking so much about the acts of sexual intimacy. He's talking about the consequences of illicit sexual intimacy. Mm. And the consequences are, son, if you don't listen to me, you're going to die young and you're going to end up in hell. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Seth, I know our listeners can't hear you right now, but I can see you behind the the glass wall. And you probably didn't have your dad give you this kind of talk. I've never known any dad to give their sons this kind of talk. This is this is a completely different direction that I had. Mm-hmm. I would never. I I personally couldn't have thought this up. So this is God's direction to uh, to young men, mm-hmm. and it's so good because God sees the importance of a father. Before he has this sexual intimacy talk, he's going to put the fear of the Lord in him. (laughs) That's what he wants to do. That's what's needed. If a son and daughter are going to live a holy life and not allow the culture to distort one of God's greatest gifts, sexual intimacy, Mm -hmm. then we have to understand that there are consequences if we disobey. And our culture doesn't understand the consequences. If kids... Those that are going through all the transgender stuff right now, mm-hmm. all the gender confusion, if our kids in schools had at least a touch of this, that they started hearing that there are consequences, I think it would change many decisions that are being made. Not only, I think, are they not hearing that, but it's like the opposite direction where they're like it's right. kind of being encouraged in that in the schools. Experiment, you know. There's you were talking about that with teaching the, the children with the books that they were reading about the LGBT stuff. You know, it's 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 sick. Yeah, kids are reading stuff. There was an 11-year-old boy on uh, the news station the other night, and um, he was reading a book that he got out of his public library. And the teacher encouraged him to get it out and read it. Mm. And when he showed it to his teacher— of what was in there, he said, do you know that this is in here? And it was talking about, okay, I'm not gonna mention this on the recording, but this was the most perverted thing I've ever heard in my life, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how bad this was. This is a sixth grade public school library. This boy takes it out, he reads it, he's appalled, brings it to his teacher and says to the teacher, do you know that this is in this book? And the librarian. And the librarian says, yes. Now, what you need to do is take it home and read this. You don't, don't judge it before, it's, before you've read the whole thing. Read the whole thing first. And this 11-year-old boy, 
Seth, you, I, I wish you could have seen this interview. It's so cool. Molly, this, six, this 11-year-old boy looks at his librarian slash teacher and says, I'm going to tell my dad. Wow. Nice. And she freaks out. Really? The 11-year-old boy said she turned white as a ghost and walked away real quick. And guess what he did? He told his dad. He went home and told his dad. And guess what happened next? He got a TV interview. Fuck, yeah. (laughs) 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 Absolutely. He got a TV interview. The whole world got to see this interview. I was so excited. We wrote this father and son uh-huh. a letter. We sent him some of the Lamplighter books, uh-huh. you know, because apparently they don't have access to books that are trustworthy. Do you realize what could happen if Lamplighter books got into public schools? Mm-hmm. It would transform millions of kids. Mm-hmm. Millions of kids would start to have, guess what? The fear of the Lord mm-hmm. and the beauty of God's treasures for them that can be theirs. Mm-hmm. They can start learning these amazing concepts about obey your father's correction. And these books will get into homes and fathers and mothers will start to learn about w- real wisdom mm-hmm. and real joy and real beauty and understand what what type of limits and boundaries we need to have in our homes and, and start to have, <laughs> this is so important, start to have standards again. Mm-hmm. You know, respect again mm-hmm. for the rule of law for people in authority there's so much that could be done you know mm-hmm. we had a public school order one of our books this was so amazing i was i'm the one that took the phone call um well actually secretary took the phone call told me the superintendent of schools in a certain state and a certain school district called me up very large school district and he told me about the book that he wanted um this superintendent was a christian mm. And he said, Mark, he goes, I've got to get these books into our students' lives. And he knew he was taking a chance. And so um, we picked the book that was the best book that didn't have, that wasn't so, you know, immersed in, you know, the Word of God. We have mm-hmm. just one book. Sir that's Malcolm. Sir Malcolm, the Missing Prince, that has a very subtle. Excellent character development, yeah. but not as heavy on the Not on the theology. religious, biblical part, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we picked the, the um and I, I printed that book for that reason, so that someday we can get it into public schools. <laughs> it's our double agent book. And he said, Mark, he goes, I want to order 75,000 books. Wow. One title. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa. I remember calling like, yeah, no problem. one sure. of our printers, yeah. and we were ready to roll. And he called me back three days later, and he goes, we had a board member that went off Berserk. the deep end. He goes, he went to your website, saw your Christian values, and he made a big stink. Now, this was close to seven years ago. And um, and as a result of that phone call, he had to cancel the order. Mm. Now, this is seven years later, and our culture's taken a huge dive. Mm-hmm. I think we're ready for this. Can you imagine if there are superintendents out there, principals out there, teachers out there that have some guts, so have enough is enough. We're not doing this anymore. These books, these Lamplighter books, I've been in education for 42 years. I know what works. This will transform lives. We have a family in Arizona. They have 11 children, and their children spend seventh grade reading all 200-plus Lamplighter books in seventh grade. They write out the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, and the parents say that their character is so transformed that it sticks into their adult life. Mm. I've met these kids. 
it's amazing what God is doing in their lives because they're surrounding themselves with godly characters that teach them what to do in certain situations and also helps them to understand the consequences of wrong decisions. When you have characters and you're surrounding yourself with these types of characters, it's, it becomes etched into your moral conscience so that your moral conscience becomes alive. And today, I think what we have are seared consciences throughout public schools, throughout our society. And once you, Molly, just yesterday, I was reading about this in um, New York City, down in um, Queens, I think it was, there's a restaurant, a seafood restaurant mm-hmm. owned by an Asian man, and 20-some teenagers went into his restaurant with 30 customers eating there. And while these people were eating, and while they were cooking, these 20-plus teenagers ransacked the entire restaurant, mm-hmm. making over $20,000 in damages. What? Breaking plates. Why? Smashing walls, smashing windows, smashing tables. Was it politics? No one knows why. Just random. They didn't. Just random. They didn't steal anything. These kid, these teenagers came in and destroyed this man's business. What? We have reached a place in our society where kids no longer have a conscience. They no longer have moral responsibility. Hmm. In its time, someone acts. And we're willing to do that here at Lamplighter. And I'm looking for, I'm looking for public school superintendents, private school superintendents, teachers that say, we want what you ha- we we know that what you have works, and we're willing to support you. We're willing to come alongside of them. Mm-hmm. Christian schools, you know, there's a lot of places today that have the books that these kids are reading are taking them in a wrong direction. Mm-hmm. There aren't gray areas. There either is wisdom or foolishness. Children mm-hmm. will become a wise person or they will become a fool. And a large degree is dependent upon what they're reading. Mm-hmm. So we're ready on this end. I was reading um, Blue Like Jazz. You, you've been talking about revival uh, recently, just for the past couple of weeks or whatever. Uh, but in it, there was this guy who was talking about uh, how sometimes it can be really overwhelming with the culture um, because there's just all these problems and people want to help other people, but then it's just like seems above your head. But then he was like, you know, what I've really learned is that revival happens on an individual scale. Mm. Like it's a personal thing. And so even with like, I love how the wisdom lessons, it's like my son. And the father gets down to the level of the son. And he's like, it's very individual it's very personal and intimate between the two and that's where the revival is going to start that's how we're going to change mm-hmm. some of these things because it can seem very helpless like how can i fix the entire world's problems but it's like i need to it's about you it's about me it's about us getting in the word and having that transformation we see that here at the master's guild mm-hmm. we had uh sunday night like revival here at Sela. you know we were all singing and praying and some of the students were able to come face to face with some of the things that they've been dealing with throughout the past two semesters and that you know inspired other people and then we're seeing that happen here in a really cool way and i think that's an important thing too like it's not as overwhelming as it might seem so that's really good i want to add to that though that the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge mm-hmm and then in chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The father's going to take a son from lesson 1 to lesson 12, reaching 
wisdom through 12 steps that begin and end with the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so unless our children and ourselves are growing in a healthy fear of the Lord, the very first thing that we're not going to get is real knowledge, Mm. knowledge that transforms, knowledge that becomes pleasant, knowledge that allows inventions, uh, knowledge that allows discovery, uh, knowledge that allows um, new creation, knowledge that gives people the skill to become wise painters, wise Mm. landscapers, wise doctors. You know, that's what our children need. And it starts with the father's initial discussion with his son on this most difficult topic of sexual intimacy, and this is it. Son, be on guard. There are going to be people that you're going to meet that are forbidden. Watch their speech. Listen to their speech. Because in the end, they're going to be bitter. They might seem like they're full of honey Mm -hmm. and smooth as oil. But you just watch because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And no matter how well they speak it, look out for what they're really after. Because in the end, the father says, they're going to be bitter as wormwood, sharp Mm -hmm. as a two-edged sword. We're going to learn in chapter 7 where this woman, this forbidden woman, Folly is her name, Mistress Folly, Mm. where she's coming after the son in full force. She is coming after the son in a way in which she is a stealth hunter. She's a little aggressive. Yeah, and she takes no prisoners. She wants to bring people down to hell. Mm -hmm. That's her goal. If she can't have it all, then she's going to take a lot of people with her. Mm -hmm. And here it is. Son, her feet go down to death and her steps take hold on hell. The father is holding nothing back and our children need to understand that the consequences of allowing this pornographic, this illicit, this distortion of God's, one of God's greatest gifts is so ruinous, so damaging, that it could take hold of your soul and bring it right to hell. So if our children have a healthy understanding of the consequences, then you'll begin to discern what type of people you want to have a relationship with. And the father immediately says to him, watch out for this woman because she does not consider the path of life. You can tell when someone makes decisions in their life and they're not really considering the consequences. Not only not considering the consequences, but her ways are movable. She's always changing. Mm-hmm. Okay, She doesn't have unstable. any she, she's no, no stability and she's always changing things. She's good on her feet and she's good with her words. And guess where she never stays? At home. Yep. Never stays at home. Mm-hmm. She's always out there mm-hmm. on, the, on the search. She is and, ravenous. And she doesn't even know it. Mm-hmm. And because she doesn't know it, she wants – and it's amazing. You know, like always tra- attracts like. It just does. You find someone that's unsettled in who they are, mm-hmm. and they're going to attract other unsettled people. And what the father does here because of this warning, he says now to his son, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and don't go near the door of her house. That's verse 7. The father's teaching his son, listen, son, y- you got to stay away because if you – if you are tantalized, if you just go on the internet and you're just going to look at some of these pictures for a little bit, she's going to devour you. She's going to, she's going to bind you to her so that you can't get loose. And so the father knows, stay away from her. Mom and dad, teach your children. 
they, if they're involved, if they have access to all of these images on the internet, put whatever you have, whatever guards you have to put on there, but the children have to be the ones that are strong enough to make those decisions to turn their eyes, to, to flee youthful us. And one of the ways that a child becomes strong by staying away from this stuff is by having the right friends. Flee youthful us. Second Timothy mm-hmm. chapter 2. Flee mm-hmm. youthful us. But do what? Pursue. Follow after. Righteousness, faith, love, hope, and peace. With those who call upon the name of the Lord. Out of a pure heart. Yeah. Surround That's yourself cool. with good friends who are constantly calling on the name of the Lord. And guess why? Because we're not strong enough. Mm. If one fall, the other will lift him up. Yes. And we continue to support one another, mm. especially in the culture that we live in. And then the father says something that, Molly, this next part is so amazing. I think this is one of my favorite parts. And it's so deep as well. Mm. Right after verse 7, the father makes this warning clear. Not only stay away from her, not only stay away from her house, but he says this. This is what's going to cost if you go near. Mm-hmm. You're going to give your honor to others. The years that you have spent working hard are going to be given to the merciless. Your full strength is going to be given to strangers, which, by the way, the word strangers there is the word for an immoral person. Oh, interesting. Your hard work is going to be given to foreigners. Okay, so I'm like editing this blog post, and I was like, honor to others, years to the merciless, strength to strangers. Like, it's all going to an outside source, yes. and, and there's this structure. I thought that was really interesting. Hard work to foreigners, which is another word mm-hmm. for immoral character. That's crazy. Yeah. So why is the last one different? It's not to anyone. Because the last one deals with what you are losing ultimately. Finally, he says this, you're going to groan and your flesh and your body are going to be consumed. You'll have nothing left to give. Nothing left. Wow. That amazing? Yeah. So here's what you lose. That's terrible. You lose your virtue, your vigor, your valor, your value, and your vitality. If you were in Mark's Proverbs class, that would be on a test. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. The loss is irretrievable. It's yeah. monumental loss. And how many, how many have gone in this direction? I say the majority. Mm-hmm. I, it seems to me like it's the majority of our young people. Um, men who are weak, you know, they're in the workplace and they feel like they're not having their, I don't know, needs met, you know, in their marriage. And all of a sudden, someone starts to give a little flattery. And next thing you know, that, that happens. Mm-hmm. And, but what they need to know, if men knew, okay, deep down inside, and if women knew deep down inside, you know, all that you've worked for, this is what you're going to lose. You're going to give your honor to others, your years to merciless people. They don't care. Your full strength to strangers. In fact, a lot of people give half their money to the, to the lawyers. Full strength to strangers, hard work to foreigners, and then your flesh and body are going to be consumed. You lose your virtue, vigor, valor, value, and vitality. What an amazing loss. What a mm-hmm. sad ending to someone's life. What a sad middle of someone's life. I can't imagine. Molly, I can't imagine. I'd rather God take me home early than to have this as something that is going to be talked about for generations to come in my Mm -hmm. family. I want my 
grandkids and my great grandkids to know that Nana and Poppy, they stayed together for 50 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, right now it's 40, we're going to be 45. 45 That's years. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I know I don't look more than 35 <laughs> years old. So. Well, of course. But no, that's incredible. <laughs> that I look that young. No. <laughs> 45 <laughs> years of marriage. Seth is shaking his head out there. <laughs> okay. Great loss. Mm-hmm. And if it ended there, I think that would be enough. But the father, he goes on and says... Even if the son's immoral pleasures lasted a lifetime. Let's say that he gets away with it. Mm-hmm. Okay? He's got this. He's loving what he's, what's happening on the side. Mm-hmm. And his marriage is, intimacy in marriage is, isn't there. But he's getting his needs met in all these other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually he succumbs to the temptations. This is what the father tells him. And you say... I hated correction and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Those who seem to get away with it, they're still in church. They're still deacons. They're still pastors. Mm -hmm. They're still youth pastors. Everything looks good on the outside. But inside, you know something's wrong. I think in a lot of... Situations like this, you know, they, they legalistic can be churches. legalistic churches that, you know, it's very easy to hide things there because you look great on the outside. We and, saw it in our church. Yeah. And then, you know, there, it's, it's common. I'm young, <laughs> but I, mm-hmm. I've seen like, you know, you kind of go to that environment and then a lot will come out of that like, oh, you know, there was an affair here or an affair there or like a lot of that comes from, you know, that Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he literally addressed divorce and remarriage. We were talking about, they were kind of using the women there and how there needed to be that protection. But then that was with the people who were like the most seemingly religious. Like they looked great, but then they were like, okay, I can do whatever I want on the side because I'm doing good. I'm like showing up to church and I'm tithing Mm -hmm. and everyone loves me, whatever. But it, it wasn't, Real, It wasn't that genuine mm. transparency, like, I am a broken, messed up person, and I'm mm-hmm. struggling right now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's that difference. I mean... Notice in here, though, um, that the father brings, after this warning about losing all these things, he brings this warning to for those that are hiding behind their sin in the midst of the congregation, okay? Mm-hmm. The warning is this. For those that are not involved in this kind of sin and those that are, he says again, how I hated correction and my heart despised reproof. He understands the reason he's in the assembly of the great congregation living in his sin is because he's hated correction. He does not like to be corrected. Who likes to be corrected? Nobody. Until you reach a point where you become wise, you recognize that the you know, as iron sharpens iron, you recognize, you start inviting mm-hmm. correction into your life. And when that happens, you become wiser and wiser and wiser because the foundation of wisdom is correction mm-hmm. and humility. And so this person here, the father is telling the son that if you get to the place where you're hiding behind your sin in the congregation, mm-hmm. in the midst of everything, and you're still hiding it, then the, re- the reason for it is because you hated correction and your heart despised reproof. Mm. You did not listen to the voice of your teachers. 
If you find yourself, if you're listening to this podcast and you're in a situation like that and you're hiding behind your sin, you're in the congregation and no one knows it, mm-hmm. you must seek out someone that is going to be willing to correct you. And those of you that are not involved in this sin, it is essential that when we see something that's off, we speak up. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to kind of be like, I don't see that. That's, that's nothing. So That's uncomfortable. When I was first saved... In ministry, I was at a church. I was the minister of Christian education. I had a Christian school, and I had probably six, seven female teachers and one male teacher. Interesting. And all of the female teachers were my age. Oh. And I had just gotten married. Mm-hmm. No children yet, just got married. Been married for not even maybe a year. And um, all of, after, after school was over, I would go around and just see how my teachers were doing. Very innocent. There was nothing, nothing in me that mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. there was no lust. There was no attraction, zero. I was just doing what I thought I did as a principal, go mm-hmm. around and speak to all my teachers. I remember sitting on the desk um, in one of the classrooms and uh, just casually sitting there talking to one of the female teachers. And the senior pastor came down. And uh, stood in the doorway and said, I'd like to speak with you. I said, well, okay. And I didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. We went up into his office and he said, stop meeting with the female teachers after school. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I was extremely offended. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, like, that's, that's so offensive. Well, I mean, like, I'm not doing anything wrong. What's, what's mm-hmm. the deal? He goes, I don't care if you're not doing anything wrong. Stop it. And I'm like, I defended myself a little bit more. Notice the scripture. I hated correction. My heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to those that instruct me. Mm -hmm. And I'm defending myself because I'm being accused of something that I didn't do. Like my heart is innocent. Absolutely. And I looked at him and I said, but he goes, I don't want to hear that word out of your mouth. No buts. Now remember, I'm a young Christian. I'm only like 23 years old, Mm -hmm. 24 maybe. And, uh, and he goes, Mark, he goes, after school's over with, finish what you're doing and get home to your wife. He goes, these teachers, they'll do just fine without you. Well, go yeah, pastor. <laughs> I, but I didn't have the maturity or the spiritual maturity, spiritual sense, wisdom sense to see that that was inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And boy, he nailed it. And as a result of that day, I was able to now see this, and I can now bring that type of correction in other people's lives. And mm-hmm. guess what? I see it a lot. And guess what happens when I correct other people with the same type of correction, much more lovingly? People don't like it. They hate it. Yeah. I've had people quit on me before uh-huh. when I brought this to their attention. I've had people say, like, I'm not, I'm not putting out for you here. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give my all just because of that little bit of correction. It's amazing, but I know that that correction will save a marriage because you never know where it's going to lead. Do not even go near her house. So, Molly, as we come to the end of this chapter, we're going to see some concluding warnings and motivating rewards that are filled with unforgettable imagery. So rather than wait for the son to be influenced by the world's pornographic imagery, the father is going to end his teaching by giving his son a godly view of sexual intimacy with his future wife. I'm not going to read it here. Mm -hmm. Those that want to go to Proverbs 
uh, chapter 5 can read it themselves. But it is extremely beautiful, um, just enough that it doesn't give the sun too much, but just enough to start building in his heart and mind what godly intimacy Mm -hmm. is going to be like. Well, I think it's also important, too, to know, like, it's not a bad thing. Like, we take it as a culture and we we just go crazy and it's it's terrible. But then, like, there's that verse, every good and perfect gift is from above. Like, this is a good, beautiful thing that he gave people. And so I what I appreciate about this chapter and, and even this verse is, like, you know, there is a time and a place and it's so much more full and rich and free than... It if is we beautiful. just take it and run with it. I think one of the reasons I'm not reading it is because um, you're in the room, and mm-hmm. I don't think it would be appropriate for me to be reading this with you in the room. You can read it on your own. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I would share this in a men's group mm-hmm. and then helping men to understand in order for them to overcome all of the distorted pornographic material that's in their image sensories. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only way that they're going to be able to get that out, they, they can't ever get it out. It's there permanently. But the only way to stifle that and to push that down is to start building a new repertoire of images, mm-hmm. beauty, um, sacrifice, love. And guess how we do that now? Hmm. Not through pictures mm-hmm. of a good marriage, pictures of a strong soldier man. Nope. <laughs> we do it through vicariously experiencing it through books. Experiencing what? Experiencing valor and vigor and vitality. We start putting in a man um, books that a man can read who was sacrificial toward women, who was protective toward women. Mm -hmm. We start building in his life some of the biographies, some of the lamplighter books, Mm -hmm. Sir Knight of the Splendid Way, right? Mm -hmm. Where the knight is being valiant. Mm -hmm. The book Ishmael, you know, the book Lost Clue, men, if you want to read a book that will bring the right images of what a true man is like, read The Lost Clue. Uh, read Ishmael, two of my favorite, all-time favorite books. Um, read Sir Knight of the Splendid Way. Listen to the audio drama. These are stories that will help rebuild the imagery in a man's heart and mind so that he is starting to suppress that which is evil, replacing it with, with that which is good. Mm. You never replace bad images with new images. You replace it with new thoughts. Mm. And so that's why reading is so essential. And so after the father gives his son this initial imagery of, of sexual intimacy, the beauty of it, right after that, he says to his son, I love this, son, I want you to be intoxicated with the wife of your youth at all times. Mm-hmm. Is that beautiful or what? Mm-hmm, that's really I love it to be intoxicated. I, I remember uh, saying one time I was going to a seminar and I, I got up there and I said to the people, I said, um, everybody, uh, I got a confession to make. I'm intoxicated. <laughs> and, uh, and you should have seen the crowd. They were like, what? You know, like, like, a lot yeah, of like people, you're drunk. A lot of people knew me. And, uh, and I said, yeah, it's real. I am standing here intoxicated. <laughs> and, you know, and pe- people that nearly knew me well, they're going like, yeah, 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 yeah. You're what's like, Why is he what's the punchline? And I, and I uh, looked over and Debbie was in the audience. And I said, 
Debbie, would you please stand? <laughs> and Debbie, Debbie looked at me and she goes, she uh-uh. said, she goes, no. <laughs> I said, okay, everybody, she's down there. Trust me. I said, I'm intoxicated with the the love of the wife of my youth. <laughs> you know, it didn't go over real well. Debbie looked at me. She goes, you ever do that again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never did it again. But Lovely idea. I, wanted, I wanted to convey the point, though, mm-hmm. in Proverbs chapter 5. Real <laughs> sexual intimacy, real love is like intoxication in mm-hmm. a wonderful way. You're giddy. You're, you're full of joy. You're full of laughter. It's euphoric. Mm-hmm. That's that's how God's created it, and guess what? It's in, guess what it is supposed to help you to look forward to our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be like that. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be overwhelmingly filled with so much joy that just mm-hmm. it leaves you kind of like stargazing. You know, you're like, wow, did I just meet with God or what? Only God. And that's what you say afterwards. Only God. Mm-hmm. Only God could have done this. Only God could have thought that up. So the father comes to the end here and um, wants to help his son understand that he's not going to just let this go with this positive imagery. He is going to drive this lesson home. And he says this, son, why then? I've given you, a, I've given you something to look forward to. I've given you a beautiful imagery of sexual intimacy. I've also helped you to understand what it's like. It's like being, you need to be intoxicated with the wife of your youth, not drinking alcohol, but be intoxicated with love, drinking up love in your life and enjoying that person to the fullest. Get over yourself and start to love somebody more than yourself. Love your wife like your own body. Mm. But son, I want you to understand that if you, for any reason, don't do that and you want to drink from someone else's well, then I want you to hear this. Son, why should you be intoxicated with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? And then he says this in closing. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of a wicked man ensnares him, and he is held fast with the cords of sin. This is so important. This closing statement says this. He's reminding his son that if he lets his guard down, there will be no escape from the loose woman. Neither will there be any escape from God. It's like, whoa, what an amazing almost ending. This whole thing started with, do you remember? Correction. And he ends it with this last verse. Why, son, should you die for the lack of correction? And why should you be led astray with the greatness of folly? The father ends this once again with a choice. Mm -hmm. Will you be a wise person or will you be a fool? It's your choice. Wisdom or folly. And it starts with a father's correction and a mother's reinforcement of that correction with her teaching. Most important, mom and dad living out these truths themselves. Mm. And that 
is lesson number seven of wisdom. Thanks for listening. God bless. You've been listening to Fastened Like Nails, a presentation of Lamplighter Ministries. Our mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ-like character one story at a time. To learn more about our family collection of rare books, dramatic audios, or guild programs, visit lamplighter.net. To hear more podcasts, search for Fastened Like Nails wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question you would like to submit for the Lamplighter team, visit fastenedlikenails.net and fill out the form. That's fastenedlikenails.net.